Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 211 of the podcast. It is Moving America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. Great show today off of what was a great weekend in sports, in college sports specifically. Listen, I know a lot of you listen for the college basketball stuff, and obviously later in the show I'm going to get to Kentucky and Louisville. A huge game, monumental game. By the way, your boy AT told you not to worry about Kentucky. They would be fine, that they would turn a corner, get it going. They did. They went in overtime against Louisville in a thriller. We will talk about that. We will talk about some of the other results in college basketball from the weekend. But we are going to start with college football. It was an incredible day of college football playoff uh, games. Obviously, the first one was a little bit of a dud with LSU-Oklahoma. But then the Clemson-Ohio State game was an instant classic. It was one that also came with plenty of controversy, drama, After the game, people were talking about conspiracy theories. So we're going to get into that game, and I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't believe the the nonsense. You shouldn't believe. I'm going to sound like Nick Saban here. Don't listen to the outside noise. Clemson won because they were the more deserving team, but we're going to get into all of the elements of that game. Obviously, talk a little bit about LSU-Oklahoma as well. And then, probably around the 20, 25, 30-minute mark or so, we will switch over to basketball. So I hope you stick with me for football, but if you do want to get to the basketball, uh, 30, 35-minute mark, I would guess, is where we will end up starting to talk basketball. So great show today, though, as we bounce back and forth between both. Great weekend overall, and let's just get into it. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. If you have an Android, make sure you do it on the Podcast Addict app. That is where I listen to the show. Yes, for the millionth time, I am one of those dudes who listens to his own podcast. So make sure to get on uh, iTunes, uh, Podcast Addict, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to the show, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars, uh, you know, on the iTunes or the Apple Podcast page, including like our boy Cromulus, who a few days ago said, "Love it, love your podcast, AT. I travel a lot for work, can't take off on a flight before downloading several episodes." So, thank you to Cromulus. Thank you to everybody who has rated and reviewed the show. Make sure you do that. By the way, always feel free. I should mention this. Always feel free. If you want to send me a quick tweet on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, and let me know how much you enjoy the show, that's great. It's always good to get word out through other avenues. So if you want to send me a tweet, at Aaron underscore Torres, and let me know what you like about the show, what you don't, uh, and you want to share the word, feel free to do that as well. Finally, the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you have questions, we always get questions. We'll do a few mailbags here as we go throughout the next few weeks as we transition almost exclusively from football to basketball. Uh, we'll get to some questions. So Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Very quick intro as we get right into the meat of the show because there is so much to get into in this Clemson-Ohio State game. It was an instant classic. It was one of those deals where for years I have been staunchly against expanding the playoff because for the most part, most seasons, there's one or two teams that are clearly better than everybody else. Last year, Alabama and Clemson were clearly better than everybody else. We didn't need more playoff teams to determine who the two best teams were. But this was the year where it felt like, okay, there are three teams that have really separated themselves 
LSU in the SEC, Ohio State in the Big Ten, and Clemson in the ACC. And it really felt like the Clemson-Ohio State game might line up as though it was going to be an all-time classic, and it absolutely was. You all watched it Saturday night with me, and unfortunately... Like so many sporting events over the last couple of years, we see it all the time in college basketball. It actually happened a little bit with the Kentucky-Louisville game, certainly the Kentucky-Ohio State game last week where the refs kind of took over. Uh, the refs became part of the story. It's happened in the NFL with Saints-Rams, and I actually think there's a kind of a cool parallel between Saints-Rams and Ohio State-Clemson, but the refs uh, became a, t a huge part of this story and a huge part of this game and it's so disappointing because it took away from what was an awesome game, and it took away from a game in which I actually thought Clemson was the better team. Clemson was the more deserving team. Clemson was the team that should have won that game, but let's get into it play-by-play, play. <laughs> not literally play-by-play, play, but there were three big plays, I thought, that completely swung that game, but to understand the three plays that led to kind of this controversial finish, if you will, you got to understand how the game started, and that was with Ohio State completely dominating this game. And I know you all watched it, so you don't need me to go through all the all the details of it, but Ohio State jumped out to a 10-0 lead after the first quarter, a 16-0 lead midway through the second quarter, and it should have been even more. It should have been about 21-0. Ohio State had plenty of chances early in the game to capitalize, to take advantage, to put extra points on the board. Uh, certainly not pinning it on one player, but J.K. Dobbins actually had a... Uh, J.K. Dobbins is the Ohio State running back. He had a drop touchdown in the end zone. That was originally called a touchdown, but we kind of saw in re uh, video replay that it was after review, not a catch. And then later, a later drive... Uh, he had a drop on a screen pass that would have gone for a touchdown. Really should have been two touchdowns. Ohio State had to settle for three field goals overall in the first half on what could have been touchdown drives. And as I said, they were up 16-0, but it could have been much, much, much worse. But the story of this game, unfortunately, or at least one of the stories, was the officiating. And there were three massive game-changing plays that completely altered the outcome of this game. And the reason I bring up Ohio State's quick start is because the first one came when Clemson was down 16-0, Ohio State up 16-0, and it was, of course, the big uh, targeting penalty. And so, obviously, again, I know you guys all saw the game, so I'm not going to do that whole thing, but but Ohio State's up 16-0. It's the middle of the second quarter. The, it, on a third and five, they, they blitz one of their cornerbacks, Sean Wade, one of the best cornerbacks in all of college football. I think Todd McShay has him as a first-round draft pick. Uh, he, he hits Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he brings down Trevor Lawrence. Chase Young kind of wraps up at the same time, and Trevor Lawrence gets crumpled up like a pretzel. And at first, they don't call anything. And Trevor Lawrence stayed down on the field. And I really do wonder if Trevor Lawrence's reaction led to the referees throwing a flag. But they eventually throw a flag, and um, they go to the booth to review targeting. And if you watch the game, by the letter of the law, this was technically targeting because Sean Wade did lead with his helmet, but there is also some gray area in why this was a questionable call. And so I'm actually going to refer to a buddy of mine, Joel Klatt from Fox Sports, uh, who frankly I actually hope to get on this show. He referenced this in a tweet, and this is why it's important. And I'm sorry, by the way, I just want to apologize in advance. I'm going to get into some mumbo-jumbo in... Uh, talking about kind of rules and all that stuff, but I think it's important to explain in the context of this game. Three big calls go against Ohio State. I don't think it's why they lost, but I do think it's it's important for us to kind of as a community, as an Aratora Sports Podcast community, talk about these three calls, why they all went against Ohio State and what it meant for the game. And so the first one was the targeting call. And so again, if you watch the play, Sean Way did come in, uh, Trevor Lawrence was kind of leaning forward and Sean Wade led with his helmet. But And so because of it, Sean Wade was eventually ejected from the game. I don't think it's a surprise that one of Ohio State's best corners gets ejected from the game. All of a sudden, Trevor Lawrence throws a touchdown pass a couple plays later to make it 16-7. to But Joel Klatt brought up the interesting point of this. Was it technically the right call for targeting? By technicality, Sean Wade's helmet did lead. It did hit Trevor Lawrence's helmet. But as Joel Klatt pointed out, 
when it comes to targeting, you need to confirm, and this has been a rule change uh, with targeting over the last couple of years, because if you remember, it was basically the last couple of years, any helmet to helmet hit immediately led to an ejection. And so the, the point that Joel brought up was that in, t- in the new rules of targeting, and this came out over the summer, there have to, there's three or four things that go into what is actually targeting and the referee's job is to confirm that all the elements of targeting are in place and did happen. And if any of them did not happen, then you should not eject the player. And so that was Joel's point. I actually, just for kind of the sake of kind of being smart on this podcast, I actually looked up what the official rulebook said. This comes straight from the New York Times on what targeting, what qualifies for an ejection on targeting. And this from the New York Times. For targeting, officials will have to confirm every element of the call for a play to be penalized. If any component of targeting, like a player aiming at an opponent with the intent of attacking, is absent, the call on the field will be overturned. And so because of it, I think that this call could have been overturned because I don't think that every element of targeting was there for Sean Wade. I don't think it was malicious. I don't think it came with intent. Um, you can argue if, if he really did lead with the crown of his helmet because Trevor Lawrence kind of fell into him. And so I actually thought it was the wrong call to eject Sean Wade from the game. The right call would have been uh, to, to overturn the targeting call and to leave this kid in the game because, again, it what the intent was not malicious, and so I had no big problem with it. It was unfortunate. You feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. You don't want him to get hurt. You don't want anything negative to happen to him, but you also have to be fair to the defender who was coming in on the blitz. You can't ask a kid running full speed to kind of stop or slow up when he's getting close to Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence puts his head down. So that was the first big call that went against Ohio State, and the reason it was important is because immediately after that, Ohio State scored its first touchdown of the game. The second play, Ohio State is now up 16-14 to coming out of halftime. Early in the second half, Ohio State with a 16-14 to lead. J.K. Dobbins, the running back I just mentioned, he goes down with injury, and maybe that's why, maybe not, but Ohio State forces a punt and decides to go after the punt aggressively, basically to try to block the punt. Uh, they have two guys run into the punter, and there, there was a penalty there, but as we know, there are two different penalties when it comes to running into the punter. There's a five-yard penalty when it's not malicious, and then there's a 15-yard penalty when we believe that there's an intent to injure the player. They could have given Ohio State the five-yard penalty. They instead give him the 15-yard penalty, and again, I think it was the wrong call. I'll be honest. It doesn't mean that that's the reason that Ohio State lost the game, but you have to remember this is, by the way, I, let me let me backtrack. The whole concept of roughing the punter is one of the most insane things in sports to me. And I tweeted about this. A lot of you agreed with me. But it is insane to me the rules that we have in place for punters. And that's this, is that you can basically, you can just short of murder a punter as long as your fingertip touches the ball. If one quarter of one inch of your finger tips the ball on a pump block attempt, it's a clean play, and you can crush the, the the punter and break his leg, and it doesn't matter because he got the ball. But if you miss, if you miss by a quarter of an inch, then all of a sudden, it's a penalty, and it's five yards or it's 15 yards, and you can barely graze the kicker. It's insane to me, but either way, it was another example. It could have been a five-yard penalty. If it was a five-yard penalty, Ohio State would have gotten the ball back. Instead, the referees acted overzealous. It becomes a 15-yard penalty, and Ohio State scores after that. Finally, the last play, and this is the one that caused so much controversy for people who watch the game, is that middle of the third quarter, Ohio State has now lost the lead to Clemson. Ohio State is trailing. There is a pass. Clemson has the ball. Trevor Lawrence passes the ball to Justin Ross. Justin Ross has the ball stripped by Ohio State, returned for a touchdown, and the play on the field is called a strip and score for a touchdown. And that is very important. And I actually think that's the right thing to do by the refs. The one thing you don't want to do if you're the refs is to blow the whistle, blow the play dead, say it was not a catch, and then go to video review and realize that it was a catch and that you just cost Ohio State points. So I actually thought, think they did the right thing by deciding to call it a catch, strip, and Ohio State score on the field 
The big problem was, of course, that they went to video replay, and what happened? They overturned the call, and this was the one. If you want to talk about targeting, the, the targeting call being the right call, I have no problem. If you want to talk about the, the, the roughing the punter should have been 15 instead of 5, I disagree, but I can see your argument. But this one, there is no argument, and here is why. It's because of the fact that it was called on the field. It was Remember this. It was called on the field a strip and a score by Ohio State. It was called a catch by Clemson leading to the strip by Ohio State, which led to the touchdown. Remember, this is the important part, and this is the same as it is in the NFL as it is in college. To overturn that call, you have to have indisputable video evidence. In other words, anytime a call is made on the field, you have to have indisputable video evidence to overturn that call. So as an example, with the, with the targeting penalty with Sean Wade, there wasn't indisputable video evidence to prove that he didn't target, so he was thrown out for targeting. Well, in this case, there wasn't indisputable video evidence to prove that Clemson's Justin Ross did not make a catch. Because remember, they called it a catch on the field. Then the ball was stripped. And what they did was they went to review and they called it an incomplete pass despite not having indisputable video evidence. And that was wrong. And there is no, there's no arguing it. There's absolutely no arguing it. Is that it was called a catch on the field and there was not indisputable video evidence. So if you want to say that you think that maybe it was a catch, but you're not positive or you're not sure, and like if you want to do that, that's fine. But remember, you need indisputable video evidence to prove that it was not a catch. It was not there. So that was one of, if not the single biggest plays of the game because it literally took points off the board with Ohio State. So three calls go against Ohio State. I think all three of them were nonsense. All three of them led to either points on the board for Clemson or points coming off the board for Ohio State. And I'll tell you, I'll say this, is that I do feel bad for Ohio State fans today. I do feel like, you know, they got the short end of the stick with the refs. But I would also say this, the refs aren't the reason that Ohio State lost the game. And so there's two different things. I think we have to talk about the calls going against Ohio State. I just spent 10 minutes doing it. But there is a difference between bad calls going against you and calls costing you a game. And I don't believe that those calls cost Ohio State the game. Because again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. Ohio State had so many chances to put points on the board early. So many chances to set to get touchdowns and ended up settling for field goals. Three field goals in the first quarter and a half of the game that could have been touchdown drives. If you're up 21-0, it doesn't matter what the refs do. It doesn't matter that the, the, the touchdown that you, you strip and score and it's called the touchdown, then it's overturned. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Ohio State had so many chances early, and then I would add they had so many chances late. Let's not forget, with about five minutes to go, Ohio State actually regained the lead from Clemson. And what happens? Clemson gets the ball back. Trevor Lawrence drives the ball 94 yards in four plays the length of the field to score the go-ahead touchdown, what ended up being the game-winning touchdown, and Ohio State still got the ball back. And as we all know, Ohio State on the last possession of the game threw an interception. Justin Fields drops back. Chris Olave, the, the wide receiver, ran the wrong route. Justin Fields throws towards the end zone, and it is an interception. Clemson wins the game, seals it, and moves on to the national championship. So I think it's an interesting conversation coming out of that game because I do think that the refs, <laughs> they certainly did not work in Ohio State's favor. But I don't think that you can say that the refs cost Ohio State the game. You know what cost Ohio State the game? Settling for field goals early when it could have been touchdowns, settling for uh, or, or, or throwing an interception late, not being able to get the crucial stop. Those are what cost Ohio State late. As I said a minute ago, it actually reminds me a lot of the situation with the Rams and Saints from last year. If you remember last year's Rams-Saints game, it was almost identical, right? We all remember the Rams-Saints NFC Championship game 
when there was the late pass interference call against the Rams that should have been a pass interference, but it wasn't, and it, you know it's, it's all sorts of crazy stuff and this and that and the other thing. What people forget, the game still went to overtime. The Saints had a chance to win it in overtime, and they didn't. What people also forget, the Saints had a couple chances early in that game to put up points. They settled for field goals. And so that's my big takeaway with this Ohio State game, with the Ohio State-Clemson game. Very similar to Saints-Rams in that the refs cost Ohio State points. The refs cost Ohio State momentum. They cost Ohio State one of their best players. But the refs did not cost Ohio State the game. Ohio State lost the game because they settled for too many field goals early because of the fact that they had a chance late to stop Clemson with the lead. They couldn't do it. Then they got the ball back and could not drive the length of the field. Justin Fields throws the interception. So I think that that's the important part. Ohio State got screwed but I, wa- I came out of that game saying the better team won, the more deserving team won. Clemson was the more deserving team, and they deserved the victory in that one. All right, a couple more thoughts on this game just in general. Outside of the Clemson win, first of all, anyone with the conspiracy theories, please stop. Like, you know, I was, on, I was doing my radio show on Fox Sports Radio Saturday night in the post game. We're talking about it, and we get all these tweets about, oh, you know, the ESPN wants... Clemson uh, LSU in the national championship because ESPN owns the SEC network and ESPN owns the ACC network and da, da, da. it's like just stop if, if you truly believe that then you are delusional and insane because the bottom line is that Ohio State I would argue behind Notre Dame is probably the second biggest national brand in all of college football I live on the west coast it is insane how many Ohio State fans live in California and Arizona and Nevada and I, there's no way on planet Earth that Ohio that ESPN would not want Ohio State in the national championship game. I'm pretty sure if ESPN had its druthers, it would be Ohio State versus Notre Dame in the national championship game because that would probably determine their biggest audience or Ohio State or Notre Dame versus Alabama, LSU, SC, whatever. So enough with the conspiracy theories. I also did have one other kind of just big picture takeaway, and that was... I did want to give some quick credit to my, my guy Trevor Lawrence, okay? This was really my only other takeaway. My big takeaway was the refs were awful, but they didn't cost Ohio State the game. My other big takeaway was that the better team won, and that was Clemson. They weren't the better team for 60 minutes, but for about the last two and a half quarters, they were the better team. They deserved to win that game. I also want to give a shout-out to Trevor Lawrence, man, because this was one of those games where your legacy gets born, where you become kind of an icon. And look, he's already kind of a college football icon. He leads Clemson to the national championship last year. But coming into this game, this guy really hadn't been roughed up, hadn't been hit, hadn't, you know, he hadn't gone through any real adversity this year, except for that one game against UNC earlier in the season. Why do I bring it up? It's because in this game, the pass game never really got going. It was the best defensive backfield that he has gone against all year. And this was a dude that time and time and time and time again, he had to pick up big plays with his feet. And I thought that was kind of an incredible testament to who Trevor Lawrence is as a football player, is that, listen, I know he's not eligible for the NFL draft this year, but every conversation about every college athlete is about protecting your draft stock and college sports don't matter and da-da-da-da and this and that and forget the, the college team and you know you have guys sitting out bowl games you have college players James Wiseman leaving college basketball without only with only having played three games you have Cole Anthony there's already talk about is Cole Anthony going to shut it down because of the fact that um, there's just you know that that he might by the time he comes back to UNC that their season might be over so there's so much outside noise and again I'm going Nick Saban on you guys but there's so much outside noise about college athletics and it doesn't matter and blah, 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 and this and that. And it would have been easy for Trevor Lawrence for a couple of those plays to throw the ball away or to slide or to do whatever. That dude, one play after the other, after the other, after the other, just put his shoulder down and picked up one big first down after the other. So I want to give him a shout out because we knew how good of a passer he was coming in. I think America got to see how good of a runner that he was how tough he was, how physical he was, how he wasn't afraid to put his shoulder down and run. Want to give him a quick shout out. Very quickly, I do want to transition to the other game. And there really isn't that much to talk about. By the way, I'm not going to do the whole LSU Clemson preview. We got two weeks to to talk about LSU Clemson. But LSU obviously 
destroys Oklahoma, I don't know that there's a ton to talk about. One, LSU is awesome. Joe Burrow is awesome. I tweeted this out. I've been, you know, I'm in my early to mid 30s now. I can never remember an athlete in my lifetime go from just another dude to, oh my God, this guy is unbelievable, quite like Joe Burrow has this year. I mean, it is truly incredible to watch. He finished that game with eight total touchdowns, seven in the first half, seven passing touchdowns in the first half. I've literally never seen anything like it where we talk about these blowouts in the college football playoff. This game was 49-14 to at halftime, and I was watching the beginning of the second half, which ended right around the time that the Kentucky-Louisville basketball game ended, and I hear the, the, the broadcaster saying, well, how soon do you pull Joe Burr out? How many more series should he play? When should they take him out? When should they start resting him for the next? And it's like, dude, this is a national semifinal, and LSU is beating them so bad that we're talking about early in the second, early in the third quarter, pulling Joe Burrow. So it was an incredible effort. I don't know that there's a ton to say about LSU other than this. They are a juggernaut at this point. I've done the Coach O spiel. I'm so impressed by him, so impressed by his ability to hire good people on the offensive and defensive side of the ball and, um, you know, kind of let them do their job. It has shown again. And listen, I was the knucklehead that picked <laughs> that picked Oklahoma to keep this close, and shame on me. I should have known better. This LSU team has beaten Alabama on the road, Auburn at home, Florida at home, Texas on the road, uh, Georgia in the SEC. I should not have been surprised by this. Just a completely dominant effort. Really quick, Oklahoma is so fascinating to me. I, and this is my last college football thought, then we'll get to the basketball, I promise. But Oklahoma is just fascinating to me. Because I think Oklahoma as a football program is in a very interesting spot. First of all, I tweeted this and it's so true. Last year, people told me that Notre Dame should never be allowed in the playoff again because they got blown out by Clemson. Notre Dame lost 32-3 to Clemson. So if we're going to leave Notre Dame out of the playoff, if Twitter's telling me, hey, we can't have Notre Dame in the playoff anymore, they don't come up, they don't come up ready to play, what about Oklahoma? Oklahoma's been to four of the last five playoffs. They still have not won a single playoff game. What are we going to do with Oklahoma? Because they're pretty bad right now, and I do think that they're kind of at an interesting crossroads as a program. And it's funny because I remember talking to Nick Coffey about this after the Oklahoma-Alabama semifinal last year, but they're kind of just in a fascinating spot, man, because they're the best team in their conference. They're the best team in that portion of the country. They go 12-1 and every year, but you can still see that they have miles to go before they're ready to compete with LSU or Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama at the top, 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 top of the sport. I'm not saying, listen, to be clear, I'm not saying like Lincoln Riley's on the hot seat or I'm not saying I'm not saying any of that. I'm not being preposterous. But I do think it's kind of incredible that a team can get to four playoffs in five years. Three of the four games, you're not even competitive. The other one was obviously the year that they had Baker Mayfield, that they lost to Georgia in the Rose Bowl in double overtime. It's just amazing to me, though. It's incredible that these opportunities um, seem to come up every year for Oklahoma. And every year, Oklahoma does not seem ready to play on that big stage. And I really thought, listen, having a month off, I really thought that it would prepare them. I thought it would have them ready to go for this game. And I stand corrected. I was wrong. It'll be fascinating to see what happens next. And I'll tell you this, two things. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with Oklahoma in the future, right? Like, it already felt like this year, we were trying to figure out a way to keep Oklahoma out. Like, we, we had the whole Pac-12 set up where if Utah won the Pac-12 championship game, they're in. Well, what if Alabama beats Auburn and they're 11-1? Can we put them in? And it already felt like we were kind of like, dude, we don't really buy this Oklahoma thing. And we were kind of left with no other choice but to put Oklahoma in. And then they get in and they embarrass themselves again. And I'll be curious to see if in the future the same thing happens. If Oklahoma finishes as a 12-1 Big 12 champ, are we going to be hesitant? Are we going to say, put in that second SEC team, put in the second Big 10 team, put in the Pac-12 champ, put in anybody but Oklahoma because we don't believe they can compete on the biggest stage? And I would finally say, I know it's probably getting a little bit annoying to hear this from me, but I got to tell you guys, if there is anyone else uh, that is arguing to expand the playoff, you need to stop. I mean, the argument's over at this point because every year we get at least one blowout and maybe two, and Oklahoma proves that it is really hard to find four teams that are truly worthy of competing in this playoff, 
and now we're going to expand it to eight teams. Now we're going to add four more teams when it was so clear that there were three teams that were clearly better than everybody else. As I've said many times, if we expand it to eight, I know it sounds great on paper. You know who LSU would have played last night? LSU would have played the same Memphis team that gave up 60 to Penn State, who wasn't even good on offense this year. And if LSU could put up 63 on Oklahoma, I am terrified to know what they could have done to that Memphis team. Let's keep it at four. This is great. It sets up for a great semifinal Saturday. We had one great game, Clemson-Ohio State, a thriller, as well as LSU and Oklahoma. All right. I think that's enough football for now. I somehow did 28 minutes when I was planning on doing about 20. So enough football, and let's transition to basketball where Kentucky beats Louisville to headline what was kind of a quiet but still an interesting week in college basketball. All right, as promised, I do want to quickly transition to basketball and really focus on, with the college football playoff, there was basically not a ton of really big basketball games. So with it, I'm going to focus on two really big games, which were obviously the Kentucky-Louisville game, Arkansas-Indiana, the Arkansas Razorbacks on Sunday afternoon going to Assembly Hall and picking up a big win. We're going to talk about both those games. Maybe quickly give a shout-out to my Cal State Fullerton Titans who won at Pauley Pavilion, Mick Cronin's team. Not very good. I saw them in person the other day. They are not very good. But a lot to get to. Uh, not a huge weekend in college basketball, but don't tell me there weren't storylines because there were some massive storylines. And I want to start with that Kentucky-Louisville game Saturday afternoon, Rupp Arena. It was obviously going on during the LSU-Oklahoma game. And I should say, by the way, shout out to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow made it easy for me to focus on this Kentucky-Louisville game because that, that LSU-Oklahoma game was a complete blowout. But with Kentucky-Louisville, listen, I know that so many of you think, or I, I don't think that you guys think, I think that people that don't know me, I think that people listen who listen to this show think, oh, all Torres does is spit out hot takes and he doesn't know what he's talking about and blah, 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 and this and that and da, da, da. Why do I bring that up? It's because we had an all-time game, a classic game between Kentucky and Louisville. Kentucky obviously wins in overtime against Louisville, 78-70 at Rupp Arena. And I know it's a hated rivalry, and I know some of you have husbands or wives, brothers and sisters that are Louisville fans or that are Kentucky fans. You hate them. You're so happy that Kentucky won. You're so mad that Louisville lost, and you want Torres to come on here and praise Kentucky and crush Louisville or praise Louisville and crush Kentucky. But I'm actually going to do neither because this was a game where, again, I know you want me to have these uh, scorching hot takes here. I actually thought both these teams played really well, and I actually thought both these teams showed some incredibly positive signs going into the second half of the year. I had both these teams in the top five in the preseason, and I think if both these teams play the way that they did on Saturday, looking at how the SEC looks right now, looking at how the ACC looks right now, I don't think either of them is going to lose very many games, and I wouldn't be surprised if both of them made deep tournament runs, and I think that this game, even for a loss with Louisville and a win with Kentucky, can be a launching point for each into a massive second half of the season. So let's get into the game itself, and with Kentucky, um, what this really comes down to is what I told you last Monday, is I, 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 so I was at that Kentucky-Ohio State game in Vegas last Saturday, and so many of you were there, many Kentucky fans listened to this show, and I know a lot of you, were. you didn't want AT to come on and talk, be the voice of reason on Monday. You wanted me to be mad, and you wanted me to say that Kentucky sucks, and the season's over, and it's, the team's terrible, and Calipari's lost his edge, and what did I say last Monday? I said, it's not as bad as you think. I said, look at that Ohio State team that you just lost to. That Ohio State team that earlier this season beat Villanova, a very good Villanova team, by the way, by 25 points at home. They beat a very good North Carolina team when North Carolina had Cole Anthony by 25 points on the road. And Kentucky went to Vegas, and yes, they lost. And yes, they lost to that Ohio State team 71-65. But as I discussed last week, I said, listen, Ohio State had, uh, or excuse me, Kentucky had nine more foul calls against them than Ohio State did. And I said, listen, I know you're mad, but if one or two of those calls go Kentucky's way, and there were a lot of bad calls that went against Kentucky in that Ohio State game, one or two of those calls go your way, you have a chance to beat that Ohio State team that beat Nova by 25 and North Carolina with Cole Anthony by 25. And I said, 
I know you don't want to hear it. I know you don't want positive. I know you don't want rainbows and sunshine and butterflies and, and, and sunflowers. You want anger. You want mad. You want dark clouds. I just didn't see it. And so when I look back on that Ohio State game and look ahead to the Louisville game, I said, man, if a couple things go right, if a few less foul calls go against Kentucky, if one or two more of those threes go in, if somebody can emerge, at least you know, in the bigger picture as the best player on this team, Kentucky's going to be fine. And against the Louisville team that was ranked in the top five, that's exactly what happened. All the problems that we all thought Kentucky had a week ago, at least for one day, were solved. And I think in the bigger picture, you can kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel and you can say, man, if we play like we did against Louisville, we're in really good shape. And it obviously starts with Tyrese Maxey. It starts with the star freshman. It starts with a conversation that we had a week ago where we were trying to figure out why doesn't Kentucky have a guy that can step up and be the guy, right? Basketball, at every level, it's about do you have a guy that when the moment strikes, that sounded like a Cialis commercial, so I apologize for that. But in in the big moment, do you have a guy that you can get the ball and can get you a bucket? And in Kentucky specifically, we talked about it last week. Some years it's the point guard, De'Aaron Fox, John Wall. Sometimes it's the big guy down low, P.J. Washington. Sometimes it's the wing guy, Kevin Knox. Who was going to be that guy? Was there going to be a guy? And I said, man, I think it's Tyrese Maxey. But, man, he, he I don't know. He, he hasn't really looked the part this season. And what does he do? He drops 27 points against Louisville. And the guy that we saw against Michigan State, we saw again on Saturday against Louisville. Now, listen, in the big picture, do I have the answer? Is he going to be that guy every single night? I don't know. I can't give you the answer, but what I can tell you is in Kentucky, two out of their three biggest games, I think they've played three teams that are legitimately among the 15 best teams in college basketball, Michigan State, Louisville, and Ohio State. Tyrese Maxey had 26 against Michigan State. He had 25 or 27 excuse me, against Louisville, and he was that guy, and he was the guy that he was touted to be, top 10 recruit, guy that can get buckets, guy that can be the difference maker. And so I think for Kentucky, that's an insanely positive sign. And listen, I know I'm not the only one saying this. I'm not breaking new ground by saying that Tyrese Maxey had an incredible game. But if you can give that kid confidence, if you can give that kid the belief that he can do that every night, that completely changes the trajectory of the season. I'll give you a quick anecdote. So when I wrote my book, One in Fun, on the 2010 Kentucky team, I remember talking to John Calipari about this exact topic. Or sometime in early January, late, late December, early January, whatever it was, he had to sit down with John Wall and he had to say, dude, listen, I love you, but you got to put this program on your back right now. For us to reach our potential, you have to put this program on your back. John Wall obviously did that. And obviously the, the saying at the time was, you got to bring other guys with you. You got to drag other guys with you. In the case of John Wall, it was DeMarcus Cousins. It was Eric Bledsoe. I don't know if Patrick Patterson needed to be dragged, but he was in that mix as well. Um, And I think similar conversations have happened at various points throughout the Calipari era. I think it happened last year with P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington's been a guest on this show, and he said, man, it took me a while for the light bulb to click. Uh, De'Aaron Fox a few years ago, same thing. Had to put the team on his back. Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray had to put this team on their back. And I think we're seeing that now from Kentucky, where Tyrese Maxey can be that guy. Ashton Hagens, as I said on the last show, has been phenomenal. And I think if you get those two guys going, you're in really, really, really good shape. I would also say, what was the big issue? Points down low, um, um, productivity down low. Nick Richards just maybe played the best game of his college career against Ohio State, 13 points, 10 rebounds. I would also add, he did most of it with four fouls for late in the second half and into overtime. He not only played uh, at a high level, but he did it with four fouls. And I'm not saying he's going to give you 13 and 10 every night, but you can't deny that that guy looks a lot different than he has the last two years. Finally, the three-point shooting. And I'm not saying these guys are the Golden State Warriors, but I said it on last episode. John Calipari has said it. I'm not trying to take credit for anything, but like you watch these guys and you felt like, At some point, these shots are going to start falling. John Calipari said it the other day. He's like, 
I have recruited way too many good shooters. We make way too many in practice for us to miss this many in games. So to go seven for 15 from beyond the arc uh, was an incredibly positive sign. Obviously a great game for Emmanuel quickly. And I think we're starting to see what this team can look like going forward. Now listen, does this team have the ceiling of the 2012 team that won the national championship? The 2015, like, like if, if you put them in five-on-five five versus the 2015 team or the 2010 team with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and Eric Bledsoe and Patrick Patterson, yeah, I don't think this team would win. But they don't have to beat the 2010 team. They don't have to beat uh, uh, the 2012 national champion. They don't have to beat the 2018 Villanova Wildcat. They just got to beat the teams in college basketball this year. And so the reason I bring that up is because if you can get some iteration of what Tyrese Maxey did on Saturday afternoon against Louisville, if you can get Ashton Higgins to continue to play at a high level, and I predicted it on this show last week, I'll predict it again. I think he goes in the top 20 in the NBA draft by the end of the year because I think people are going to realize how phenomenal that this kid has been over the last probably three weeks of the season and what he is going to do into February and March of this year. You can get some iteration of Nick Richards, some iteration of Nate Sestina, who didn't even play well because he was in foul trouble on Saturday. This is a dangerous team. And to the point that I was trying to make, and I kind of got off subject, I tend to do that from time to time, this team doesn't have to beat the historically great teams in college basketball. This team doesn't have to beat the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats, the 2015 Kentucky Wildcats, the 2018 Villanova Wildcats, the 2019 Virginia Cavaliers. They just got to beat the teams in college basketball this year. And I know it was frustrating when Kentucky lost to Ohio State last weekend, but look at the rest of the schedule. Look at the SEC. Florida is down. LSU is down. Tennessee just lost Lamonte Turner, one of their best players for the season. Alabama is not the team that we thought they were going to be. I think Auburn is really good, and Arkansas, who we're going to get into in a minute, is pretty good. But outside of them, Louisville was probably the best team you're going to play all the rest of this season, and you just beat them. Certainly the best, I, I shouldn't say the rest of the season, the best team that you will play until the NCAA tournament, and you just beat them at Rupp Arena. And so I thought it was an incredible effort. I thought it was an incredibly positive sign for Kentucky. And I think it's an incredible sign going forward. Now listen, Tyrese Maxey's not going to get 27 every night. Ashton Hagens isn't going to go for 14 and 9 assists every night like he basically has been the last couple weeks. But if you can get this team to play with this intensity, if you can get Tyrese Maxey to play some iteration of how well he played on Saturday, Nick Richards, some iteration of how well he played on Saturday, Nate Sestina back healthy making threes, this team is really dangerous because, again, there is no team in the SEC that you look at and say, whew, we got no shot. We got no shot. And even nationally, who are the teams nationally that terrify you? Now, I think there are some teams that are better matchups than others, but you already beat Louisville. You already beat Michigan State. You played with Ohio State. Well, who, who else left is out there? Listen, nobody likes Gonzaga more than I do, but Gonzaga isn't going to overwhelm any of the top teams in the country come NCAA tournament time. Same with Michigan. Same with Duke. And I, I, I'll defend Duke. I think Duke's pretty good this year. But they're not going to overwhelm anybody with talent. Kansas isn't going to overwhelm anybody with talent. Baylor, who, by the way, hate to brag, picked them to go to the Final Four, haven't lost since the first game of the season. They're not going to overwhelm anybody with talent. They're good. They're not going to overwhelm anybody with talent. So it was an incredibly positive day for Kentucky. And I think you got to feel good. And I know that the sky was falling. This is what I, by the way, and I said this at the Aaron Torres podcast get together the other day. This is what I love about following Kentucky from a national scale is that it really is covered as though it's a football team, right? Alabama football, Tennessee football, uh, Ohio State football, Michigan football. You lose a game and the rest of the week until the next game, it's the sky is falling, everything's over, blah, 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 and then you win, and it's like I said a minute ago, sunshine, rainbows, all that stuff. And so if you're Kentucky, I think you have to feel good. I think you have to feel great. And I'm telling you, there isn't a better team on your schedule between now and the start of the NCAA tournament than the Louisville team you just beat. You play like that, you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to put yourself in position to compete with Auburn, maybe Arkansas for an SEC title, and obviously we know what's going to happen once you get to Nashville. Really quickly on Louisville. I was very critical of Louisville a few weeks ago. After they lost to Texas Tech, 
it was a big controversy. Louisville fans got mad at me. Blah, 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 blah. What else is new? Uh, everybody's always mad at me. It's unbelievable. The pressure that is put on AT day in and day out simply for sharing college basketball opinions is unbelievable. But Louisville fans were very mad at me, but I believed what I said at the time with Texas Tech. When they lost to Texas Tech, I said, look, this is no shot at Louisville, but right now they don't have a single guy outside of Jordan Nwora. They don't have a point guard that can create offense, and they don't have a single guy besides Jordan Nwora that can get you 18, 20, 22 a game. And so when Jordan Nwora doesn't get you 20, 22, 24, 26 a game, you're in really big trouble. And so I said that, and Louisville fans got mad, and that's a cheap shot, and t- typical Torres, he wrote a book about Kentucky, so of course he's going to kiss Kentucky. I'm not kissing anybody's ass, man. I'm just telling the truth. And I, tell the tr- I told the truth then, and I'm going to tell the truth now. I thought Saturday was a totally positive sign for Louisville, too. By the way, put that on a Louisville message board, because I, th- I like them again. But what I liked about Louisville on Saturday was, I got to call a spade a spade. I was waiting for a second guy to step up on that team, and I think they got a few. Steven Enoch, former UConn Husky, my UConn Huskies. That guy was awesome. 18 points, 5 rebounds, a bunch of jump hooks, was very active around the rim. He is the inside presence that that team needs. Dwayne Sutton, who has not stood out to me in any game that I've watched this year, uh, put up 14 points against Kentucky. By the way, only had four against Texas Tech, so not surprising that he has not stood out in other games. Also, Lamar Kimball, the transfer from St. Joseph's. I was kind of wondering, is he going to be the guy? Is he going to be one of those grad transfers that I tell you to watch out for that's overwhelmed by kind of the size and speed and physicality of a bigger league? He looked really good on Saturday as well, 12 points for him. And so I only bring it up because when I look at this team, I'm telling you, first of all, Chris Mack, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, really good coach. He's a really good coach. And I wondered, could he figure out a way to get other guys going offensively? And I believe he has. And I believe for Louisville, it's the exact same thing as Kentucky. I just told you a minute ago about Kentucky. I said, Kentucky's not going to play a better team than the Louisville team that they played on Saturday afternoon. Well, look at the ACC this year. I think it's a little tougher than, than the SEC, but outside of Duke, who really scares you? North Carolina, uh, Cole Anthony's banged up. We don't know when he's going to come back. Uh, Virginia. You score more than like 55 on Virginia. You're in really good shape. NC State. Kevin Keats, by the way, friend of the Aaron Torres pod. Hit or miss. We'll see what happens with them. Virginia Tech's down. Florida State's okay, but how good are they really? I don't know. And so with Louisville, I think Louisville's actually got to come out and listen. It's the same thing. I know we have some Louisville fans that listen. Probably don't like me because of what I said with Texas Tech, but I'm telling you, if Louisville just plays the way that they did at Rupp Arena, they're not going to lose very many games the rest of the year. And so I did want to give them a quick shout out because I have to be fair. I have to be honest. I have to call a spade a spade. And I was actually pretty impressed by the University of Louisville. Like I said, they take care of business. They do what they did on Saturday. They're going to win a lot of games in the ACC. I picked them to win the ACC regular season. And I think that they very well could win the ACC regular season if they play the way that they did. All right, last kind of really big topic for the show, and I appreciate you guys sticking with me, uh, is the Arkansas Razorbacks. And I really should start this by uh, giving really kind of a quick shout-out again, and I just did it with Louisville, but to all the haters, to, to everybody that tells me. Here's the thing. If you listen to this show, I think you at least acknowledge sometimes I like AT, sometimes I hate him, sometimes I agree, sometimes I disagree Our buddy Char Dunn actually uh, posted that as one of his reviews of the show on the uh, iTunes page where he basically said, I don't always agree with Torres, but he really does, you know, he thinks things out at the very least and all that stuff. I'm trying to find Char Dunn's uh, review as it is. He said, Char Dunn said, the best sports podcast, Aaron is usually spot on with his takes, even if I don't always agree with them. And so when I come on this show, when I go on Twitter... When I say something, I say it because I believe it. I have never once, and I do 40 minutes a a show twice a week, I have never once come on this show and said something that I don't believe 
because I'm trying to get clicks or I'm trying to get attention or I'm trying to make a hot take or I'm trying to do anything. It's the same on Twitter. I don't tweet stuff unless I really truly believe it. And so what happened at the beginning of the year when we kind of started doing our SEC and really our college basketball prediction? Well, I looked at the Arkansas Razorbacks and I said, you know, as I breathe heavily into the microphone for effect, I said, I think Arkansas could be pretty good this year. And the reason was very simple. It wasn't any expert analysis. It was, I looked at their roster. I said, look, they were basically a bubble team last year. Until the SEC tournament, they were on the bubble. They did lose Daniel Gafford, but they brought back everybody else. And I said, look, I know Eric Musselman, and I know that he is going to get those guys playing hard. But of course, the second I said anything nice, oh, Torres is trying to appease the Arkansas fan base, or Torres likes Musselman, he's had him on his podcast, so he's got to kiss his ass. Man, screw kissing anybody's ass. That's the thing about this show. And this is the stuff that pisses me off. This is the thing that got me fired up. Everyone tell me, oh, Torres, you only say nice things about Arkansas just because. No, I say things nice about Arkansas because it's fact. Because it's fact. And so I want to start off this little part of the show, this segment, by shouting out all the haters. Because on Sunday morning, I went and I said, you know what? I think Arkansas could win at Indiana. And it turned into, oh, of course you love it. You kiss Arkansas's ass. No, I don't. I tell the truth. I tell my version of the truth. And I'm tired of all these idiots on social media, in my mentions, in my DMs, telling me, oh, you just do this for, no, no, no. Don't be mad at Torres because Torres outworks you. Don't be mad at Torres because I go back and I've watched four or five Arkansas games. Don't be mad at Torres because I'm prepping for the season in April, May, and June when, you gotta, when you're on the beach with a freaking you know, drink in your hand with an umbrella in it. Don't be mad at Torres. Torres works his butt off. And so I bring it up because I truly believed that Arkansas had a chance to go into Indiana and pull off the victory and that's exactly what they did. And it came from watching four or five Arkansas games throughout the season. Uh, it came from, you know, talking to Coach Musk because he's been on this show. But also just looking at the depth chart and saying like, man, if these guys buy into the new coaching staff, they have a chance to be pretty good. And so that's exactly what happened. And Arkansas goes on the road and they get the win at Indiana. And listen, I just did enough patting myself on the back. How about we pat out Arkansas Razorbacks on the back? Because what stood out to me is that this is a real team. And the thing that I saw when I went back and watched three, four, five games from earlier in the season, what I saw with Arkansas, and I was always hesitant to say anything because people know that we've had Coach Muss on this show a bunch of times. And, you know, if, if I say anything too nice, it's, oh, because you like Coach Muss. No, it's not. It's not because I like Coach Muss. It's because I see things that nobody else sees. It's because I see things, you know, I bust my butt. I'm watching shows. I'm watching shows. I'm watching games. And so what I saw when I went back and watched Arkansas, they have four guys who I believe can get you 20 points on any night. And you guys know, that's my big thing with college basketball. Do you have guys that can get you buckets? They got four of them. They got Mason Jones. They got Isaiah Joe, they got Desi Sills, and they got Jimmy Witt, the transfer who started Arkansas, went to SMU, came back to Arkansas. And when I look at that team, I said, man, listen, I know they have their deficiencies. They're not very big down low. They can be exposed down low. But their biggest deficiencies are also their greatest strengths. They play fast. They get up. They shoot the three. I said they got four guys that can get you 20 a game. They have two guys, Isaiah Joe, and Mason Jones that can get you 30 on any given night. And there aren't many teams in college basketball that have two guys that can get you 30 on any given night. And Arkansas has them. And so what happens? They go on the road. They beat Indiana in a wild game. And early on, I'll be honest. Uh, first of all, shout out to Indiana. Indiana's a good team. I don't want to take anything away from Indiana. I think Trace Jackson Davis, the, the freshman, has been phenomenal. Um, and I also think, by the way, I said this a few episodes ago when they played my UConn Huskies, is that, you know, I, I, I think that they are much better and they are much more of a cohesive team without Romeo Langford. It's funny, I see Dan Dockich. Uh, Dan Dockich calls Romeo Langford the shoe guy. And the shoe guy, of course, is implied because of um, 
is because of a uh, you know because of his relationship with Adidas, and Dan Dockett just says, "Man, we are so much better without the shoe guy." And so I think Indiana's a real team. Give them credit; they are a tournament team to me. Watching Arkansas and Indiana on Sat on Sunday night felt like an eight nine game, a seven ten game in the NCAA tournament. Just really hard played, really hard fought. Both teams played really well. Uh, but it's credit to Arkansas, man. And what I saw in all you know watching all those games early came true. Isaiah Joe finished with 24 points. He had a bunch of threes in the second half when Arkansas fell down 11. Mason Jones, foul trouble early, comes back, has a great second half to lead them to a victory. And I'm telling you, man, this Arkansas team's for real. And again, I was hesitant to do it because I was hesitant to say too much because they didn't have any big wins and I didn't want to be seen as like, oh, you're kissing Arkansas's butt. It's like, no, I think they're pretty good. And they showed it. And I'm telling you, in this SEC, I just laid it out. I just laid it out. Florida's not playing really well right now. Florida's already lost at UConn. Florida's lost to Utah State. Florida's best win is probably like Providence right now. And so I look at, excuse me, I look at them. I don't think they're the team they were sold us to be in the preseason. LSU, love the bad boys, would love to give credit to LSU, but right now they're not playing well. Alabama's not playing well. And so when I look at Arkansas... You know, coming into the year, it was like, can they be a tournament team? Well, yeah, they're going to be a tournament team now. My question is, without the size down low, do I think they have the opportunity to be a top four team in the SEC and get a double buy in Nashville? And I got to be honest, I really think they can. I'm not saying they're better than Kentucky. I'm not saying they're better than Auburn. But I'm telling you right now, they are a real team. They don't have a ton of size. But as I just said a minute ago, it absolutely is one of their strengths because I think it helps them get out fast. I think it accentuates the fact that they have really good three-point shooting and it can be a stylistic advantage for them offensively, even though at times it can be a stylistic disadvantage for them on the defensive end. So watch out for Arkansas. Great win. And I'm telling you, they got four guys that can get you 20 points on any given night and they got two guys that can get you 30 points on any given night. And I watch a ton of college basketball. I can count on one hand the number of teams that have two guys that can get you 30, four guys that can get you 20, and so they're going to play a lot of crazy games. They're going to play a lot of crazy games this year. I'm actually hoping to get down to Bud Walton before the end of the season for a game. I don't know if it's going to be possible with my schedule, doing my radio show on Saturdays. We're going to try, but the point remains that this is a real team. If you're, not, if you're a fan of Arkansas, be excited. If you're not a fan of Arkansas, just be wary of them on the schedule. They play fast. They shoot a lot of threes, and they picked up a great win at Indiana on Sunday. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Man, these idiots on social media got me all fired up. Listen, man, you know, I don't mean to go all crazy on you guys, but people get me all worked up. Like I said, it's a burden being AT. It's a burden being right all the time. I feel terrible that these guys and girls come after me time and time and time and time again and tell me what an idiot I am and how much I suck and you don't know anything. And every single time I'm right. Every single year it happens. I said it three years ago when I said the SEC was the best conference in college basketball, but got crushed for a year. They had eight teams make the NCAA tournament school record. Last year, I don't even remember. I said Tennessee was awesome. Nobody wanted to listen. I said whatever. It's exhausting being AT, but I do it for you people. So thank you, as I said off the top, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for making this show a part of your everyday life. I believe, unless something changes, this is going to be the last episode of 2019. So the numbers have been through the roof all year. Even in the summer when there was nothing to talk about, you guys downloaded, you guys listened. I cannot thank you enough. So thank you for an incredible year with the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It's, it's been awesome. It really has as I'm reflecting now in real time. Think about it. We've had Kirk Herbstreit on this show. We've had Bob Stoops on this show. We've had, uh, you know, Bruce Pearl the other day. We had Chris Mack. We had Kevin Keats. We've had Eric Musselman a bunch of times. So thank you guys for everything that you've done to download the show, to listen to the show, to give me feedback, to tell me what I'm doing right, to tell me what guests you want to hear, everything. By the way, how about this? Tyler Hero, maybe the best rookie in the NBA right now, not named John Morant, on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. PJ Washington, awesome, on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for subscribing. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to subscribe to the show. Do it on iTunes. 
do it on Podcast Addict, you can do it on Podbean, you can do it on TuneIn Radio, you can do it on Spotify. Also, make sure to rate and review the show like Cromulus did, who said, love the show, AT. I travel a lot for work, can't take off for a flight without downloading several episodes. So thank you to Cromulus for downloading the show. This episode, I hope you hear it. I don't know if you're here in 2019 or 2020, but safe travels, Cromulus. Thank you all for listening, for rating, for reviewing, for subscribing, for sharing, for talking about this show. I want to thank you for all that. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Also, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is the place to get it. I think that's it for 2019, guys. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for subscribing. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I'm so sorry because this was a long episode and I got fired up. But shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to Stu, who didn't know I was a Kentucky fan and hates my guts. I will be back in 2020. Thank you guys for listening. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.